spend four horrific days on the religious freedom or the so-called religious freedoms inquiry, sitting in a room with the likes of, you know, what I could only describe as bigots, homophobes, transphobes, sexist pigs. There you have it. That was the voice of the New South Wales Greens member of the Legislative Assembly, Jenny Leong, speaking last weekend to a community action for rainbow rights protest in Sydney. Imagine if you or I use such language to describe those with whom we disagree over issues of public policy. We would have been held to account by the media, and rightly so. But the Radical Greens get a leave pass to abuse and demonise their fellow Australians. They don't debate or engage in civil discourse. They just paint us as evil people who should be treated with contempt. The double standards are frightening because the media and elite opinion assume that the likes of Leong are right and that mainstream Australians like you and me are simply deplorables worthy of contempt. It's time the media started to do its job and to put some scrutiny on the claims and quite frankly abuse coming from the likes of Leong. That's why alternative media shows like The Lyle Shelton Show have sprung up. We simply can't rely anymore on mainstream media for a fair go. And that is why we simply have to get involved in politics because you just heard what politics and our elites think of us. Well, on that sobering note, welcome to this week's Lyle Shelton Show. I'm Lyle Shelton, as you might have guessed. Well, as usual, we have a full agenda to get through. Uh, a week is a long time in politics. But first up, I want to unpack what sparked that abusive tirade from the Greens against mainstream Australians like you and me. They were triggered by the fact that the Morrison government's COVID pause on progressing freedom of religion appears to be over. There are media reports that the Attorney-General, Michaelia Cash, has begun meeting with stakeholders to finally progress the issue. This is sending the radical left into meltdown. The resurrection of freedom of religion is good news for Christians who, are, who since the passing of same-sex marriage in late 2017, have seen the following alarming things occur. Number one, a wedding magazine has been forced to close because its policy was to feature only marriages between one man and one woman. Israel Folau lost his job for quoting the Bible. Thirdly, parents have had a child taken from them because they disagreed with their child being prescribed controversial experimental treatments for gender dysphoria. Four, Christian, uh, Christian foster parents have been banned from fostering children because of their beliefs about marriage. And Christian schools have been dragged into expensive legal disputes. All of this has been at the hands of rainbow political activists who will not tolerate views different from theirs. In addition, I'm being sued by two LGBTIQA plus drag queens who are asserting, uh, for asserting sorry, that gender fluid and adult entertainer drag queens reading to children in public libraries are dangerous role models. There are other cases I could cite, including that of former uh, Army Major Bernard Gaynor, who's been subject to years of long-running vexatious litigation from the homosexual activist Gary Burns under flawed anti-discrimination laws in New South Wales. Now, groups like the Australian Christian Lobby and Freedom for Faith have reactivated their campaigns to try and have religious freedom resolved before the next federal election, which is due in May 2022. With talk of an early election, this might not be achieved. 
If not, it must become an election issue. Religious freedom protections are, of course, the unfinished business of the same-sex marriage plebiscite. Australians in 2017 voted in favour after the leaders of the Yes campaign repeatedly promised that no one else's freedoms would be affected and that children would not be indoctrinated into radical LGBTIQA plus gender fluid ideology at school. These were, of course, lies as the last three years have demonstrated in spades. Statesmen like former Prime Minister John Howard knew this. In August 2017, Mr Howard called on his own Liberal Party colleagues in the then Turnbull government to protect religious freedoms before same-sex marriage was introduced. They didn't listen. But after pressure mounted, Turnbull reluctantly set up the Ruddock Commission to investigate religious freedom during the dying days of the plebiscite and in the aftermath. After an arduous process fought every step of the way by anti-freedom LGBTIQA plus activists, the result was a religious discrimination bill uh, produced by the then Attorney General Christian Porter. But then COVID hit. But uh, this week, the Sydney Morning Herald gay activist journalist Michael Koziel reports that religious freedom might actually be coming out of its COVID lockdown. Sadly, though, Koziel continues to frame the debate in terms of Christians wanting religious freedom so that they can beat up on gays. This, of course, is not true. Freedom is about tolerance and equal rights for all, not just for some. Christian schools, churches and organisations should be free to discriminate positively in favour of staff and students who share their ethos. Putting aside rainbow political issues for a moment, freedom of religion and freedom of association, once fundamental rights of free people in the West, mean that groups should be allowed to protect who they are. The Greens political party, for instance, is allowed to dismiss an employee who is an advocate for the coal industry. That is just common sense and no thinking person would expect otherwise. Similarly, Christian parent communities who support Christian schools should have the right to have their children educated in an environment that supports their view of human flourishing when it comes to family formation and appropriate sexual conduct. The same goes for their views on biological and scientific reality regarding gender. The same-sex marriage plebiscite combined with ongoing rainbow political activism has put unprecedented pressure on freedom of religion and freedom of speech in Australia. Who would have ever thought? This is why the Morrison government must make good on its promise to introduce religious freedom. Sadly, Michael Koziel's activist journalism paints freedom of religion as some nefarious agenda to expel gay students from Christian schools. That is not the motivation of Christian schools, and his reporting seems to be part of an ongoing and pernicious defamation of Christians. If a student or staff member, gay or otherwise, conducts themselves in a way contrary to the religious ethos of a religious school or organisation, that organisation should have the freedom to act to preserve that ethos. It is not the human right of individuals to join religious organisations knowing their ethos and then seek to undermine them. If you love coal, don't join the Greens. If you think the values of the Mardi Gras should be celebrated in a Christian school, you are actually showing intolerance and disrespect for that faith community. 
To frame seeking to preserve a Christian ethos as about expelling gays or sacking gay teachers is simplistic and it's misleading. Again, sadly, rainbow political activism seeks to define and punish as bigotry any view of the world that does not openly celebrate theirs. Again, that is not tolerance, it is intolerance, it is certainly not loving. If we are to have a sensible debate about freedom of religion and tolerance in modern Australia, the Sydney Morning Herald headline writers are going to have to do better than serving up the talking points of LGBTIQA plus protesters. At a small protest in Sydney last weekend, the one that Leong spoke at, activists branded the Morrison government's religious freedom bill and the one introduced into the New South Wales parliament by One Nation leader Mark Latham as part of a right-wing backlash. <laughs> Concern for religious freedom is not a right-wing backlash. It is actually about human rights. Rainbow political activists might have misled the Australian people into redefining marriage, but they must not now be allowed to redefine human rights to suit themselves. Let's hope Minister Cash can see through the fake news reporting that is being served up to the Australian people. The noise of gunfire rose from all over the centre of Peking. It was unremitting. On the streets leading down to the main road to Tiananmen Square, furious people stared in disbelief at the glow in the sky, listening to the sound of shots. Heading down the road was a hazardous business, but hundreds of people cheered as buses were set alight and army trucks caught fire too. They yelled and shouted, and then as troop lorries were seen moving down the road, there was gunfire from those lorries. Is there a more evil regime on the planet than the Chinese Communist Party? This week marks the 32nd anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre, where 10,000 pro-democracy student protesters were slaughtered. They were shot and they were run over by People's Liberation Army tanks. Bicycles and rickshaws were used to ferry the wounded to hospital. I was at university in 1989 and, and I remember the ceremony held in the quadrangle as a mark of respect. Flags were lowered to half-mast. The then Prime Minister, Bob Hawke, rightly declared that Chinese students in Australia did not have to go home if they did not wish to. In the years following, life went on and Australia pretended we could have a normal relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. Indeed, they seemed to have learned from their disgrace and were opening up, so it seemed. Trade boomed and Hu Jintao addressed a joint sitting of uh, the parliament in Canberra. But then Xi Jinping ascended and started talking openly about Stalinism. The Falun Duffer kept banging on about organ harvesting and churches started to get bulldozed. But that didn't stop our universities open, opening the door to CCP infiltration via so-called Confucius Institutes. Victoria's Dan Andrews signed up to the Belt and Road Initiative. Satellite images of concentration camps for Uyghur Muslims were not even enough for us to, to think twice about engagement with the CCP. Xi reneged on the one country, two systems deal with Hong Kong and brutally took over. Adding to the CCP's crime, they unleashed COVID on the world, knowing Chinese travellers carried a highly infectious virus. They knew that because they developed the virus in a lab as part of a military experiment. 
This week, 7,000 armed riot police were on the streets of Hong Kong as part of an attempted ban on the commemoration of the massacre. While numbers were down, thousands of Hongkonese defied the CCP and turned out on the streets. That is courage. Good on them. The Chinese people are good people. It is the CCP that is not. As we mark the 32 years since the massacre, we would do well to contemplate the man whose larger-than-life picture adorns Tiananmen Square. Mao Zedong killed somewhere in the order of 60 million people in his communist takeover and subsequent Great Leap Forward. 60 million dead. We should think on that. Why is his picture still there? Displaying images of Hitler is unthinkable. Same with Stalin. Although the Russians still venerate Lenin, who is in the same pantheon of bloody dictators of the 20th century. No one should be surprised that a massacre occurred under Mao's gaze 32 years ago. As Australian uh, Fred Schwartz said in his best-selling 1961 book with the, same, with the title, you can trust the communists to be communists, uh, you can trust them to be communist. The evil Xi is living up to this dictum, lest we forget. Till now, governments have thought, well, we can rely on the churches to look after this. We'll leave it to them. They're the ones who are going to find the new graves for us. And we've been doing exactly that. Why the sudden desire to take it all away from the faith groups, I cannot fathom. That was the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Sydney, Anthony Fisher. The Christian Democratic Party was pleased to have played its part in the New South Wales government's backdown on robbing Catholic graves. The Minister for Water, Property and Housing, Melinda Pavey, recently announced a government takeover of cemetery operations in Sydney, including those of the 153-year-old Catholic Cemeteries Board. Now, the Catholic Trust operates as a not-for-profit charity and is fully loaded for perpetual care to the tune of $140 million. But because other cemetery operators shared a $300 million liability, Pavey's solution was to put everything under the control of the government, sacking the Catholic Trust and taking its assets. This would have hiked the price of a cemetery plot by thousands of dollars as a government-run operation would not have had charitable status. More importantly, Pavey abolished the church's Christ-centered mission focus in serving the bereaved of Sydney, turning cemetery operations into another arm of sterile government. Astonishingly, she has refused to speak to the Catholic Church about her decision since December 2020. The CDP, through the Reverend the Honourable Fred Nile, was the first political party to publicly support the Catholic Church's campaign to reinstate the Catholic Cemetery Trust and find another solution to deal with the liabilities of the other operators. This week, the New South Wales Labor leader Chris Minns also came on board and backed the Catholics. The government is digging its way out of the mess with Deputy Premier John Barillaro now tasked by Cabinet to broker a peace deal. Pavey is a member of the New South Wales Nationals, a party which has performed very poorly for the Christian constituency during this term of Parliament. Apart from going to war with the Catholic Church over their cemetery plots, the Nationals led the charge for the 2019 abortion to birth legislation, which has deeply upset pro-life Christians throughout the state, as well as the party's conservative base. Well, the New South Wales Education Minister, Sarah Mitchell of the Nationals, 
likes to point out that the so-called Safe Schools indoctrination program has been abolished. But what she can't explain is why gender-fluid ideology keeps rearing its head in kids' classrooms and teachers' staff rooms. As I pointed out on last week's Lyle Shelton show, she couldn't explain this to Alan Jones on Sky News, and this week she couldn't explain it in the Parliament under questioning from the Reverend Fred Nile and Mark Latham. Clearly there are forces more powerful than the Minister at work in New South Wales schools. In question time, she was asked to explain three separate examples of rainbow ideology in schools. The Reverend Honourable Fred Nile asked the following question. A concerned mother contacted my Parliament House office writing, my son's K-12 school community were told they will celebrate Ida Hobbit Day on May 17. In celebration, all children were to come wearing LGBTI rainbow shirts. My son, who is 12 year old, took the day off as it is an offence to his cultural and religious beliefs. Further, he believes if he went to school, he would cause division and bullying of him if he would not wear the rainbow shirt as others were doing and teachers were promoting. My question is this, is it okay for children to say no to participating in political events like the International Day Against Homophobia, Biophobia, etc.? That was Fred's question. Now, Sarah Mitchell did not deny that Ida Hobbit, <laughs> International Day Against Homophobia, Biophobia, Intersexism and Transphobia uh, events were occurring at schools um, to celebrate homosexuality and gender-fluid ideology. This is what she said. She said, if parents want to object to being involved in an event due to religious reasons, which I think is what the member, Fred, raised in his question, they are able to do so, end quote. That, of course, is not the point. Why are children being indoctrinated in the first place, and why are those families who believe in man-woman marriage and the science of biological gender being made to feel like bigots? Wouldn't it just be better to keep identity politics out of the classroom? Asked by One Nation leader Mark Latham about gender-fluid ideology resources being sent to teachers at Denison College of Secondary Education in Bathurst, Mitchell said she was unaware that this was happening. Latham later asked her a second question about a podcast resource in schools which promotes gender-fluid ideology. This is what he said, I refer the minister to her answer on the notice paper saying that the Grow Your Mind consultancy with its lessons on animal yoga and shark versus dolphin thinking is being funded in 60 New South Wales government schools. Is the minister aware of the podcast produced by Grow Your Mind, particularly on 23 February when an 11 year old girl asks a boy if she has a crush on a student called Jess. When he answers no, the girl asks, are you a girl trapped inside a boy's body? That is, the boy must be transgender because he does not have a crush on Jess. Is the minister aware of, the, of how the podcast continues with a female student saying these people think she is a boy trapped in a girl's body. Despite repeated warnings about Grow Your Mind, how has the minister allowed this dangerous nonsensical rubbish into our schools and why has she failed badly in her duty to care uh, to those primary school students? Now, the mind boggles that this sort of material is being presented to children in a state that has supposedly abolished safe schools and is governed by a coalition government. Sarah Mitchell responded, 
I am not aware of the specifics of that particular podcast that the member is referring to or indeed that program. Now, therein lies the problem. Clearly forces more powerful than the education minister are at work in New South Wales schools. If a coalition government can't weed out gender fluid ideology and rainbow politics, what hope is there? Well, the answer to that question is to send them a message at the next election by voting CDP. That's the only language politicians understand. Well, that's it for the Lyle Shelton Show for this week. If you'd like to understand the political battle we are facing, my book, I Kid You Not, Notes from 20 Years in the Trenches of the Culture War, is a good primer. You can order it from lyleshelton.com.au. If you'd like to get in the arena with me, why not consider joining the Christian Democratic Party? Go to cdp.org.au today. Thanks for your company. Until next week, God bless. The Lyle Shelton Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Lyle Shelton. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.